This is the Becoming Educated podcast with me, Darren Leslie. I've been a teacher in Scotland for over eight years and I've loved every single minute of it. My mission in this podcast is to inform, challenge and inspire you to teach with joy. So Andy is a qualified teacher, a best-selling author, a happiness expert and a recovering academic. Andy is the UK's first ever Doctor of Happiness after studying positive psychology for his PhD. Andy, thank you so much for joining me today. Mate, well thanks for asking me and the Doctor of Happiness bit by the way, I am socially aware enough to know it sounds a bit cheesy but um, we'll stick, I was going to call myself Doctor Feelgood but you can't mate so I'm going to stick with Doctor Happy. Um, yeah, and that'll probably be a recurring theme of our chat, I, I suspect. I hope so. Um, so just to, just to kick us off, the, the, the gold standard in, in interview questions, could you, could you give us a, like a potted history of, of your career to date? Oh man, well tell me about yourself, I like it fella, yeah. Um, well I left uni many years ago, many, many years ago now, um, and I worked in retail for a while, so retail management. Um, and then after about four years of that, I decided to jack it in, I went around the world backpacking and then I had my teacher training place bagged for when I got back so I did my teacher training and then I accidentally fell into higher and further education so I'm not really a proper teacher although I've got the qualification um, and now it's ironic actually I'm now back in schools doing loads of stuff with kids but I, I spent about 10 12 years I think in higher education further education which I have to say mate is a lot easier than normal teaching because we don't have the same discipline issues we don't have the same attendance issues so teaching students is a lot easier i can i can certainly imagine so can I, you mentioned about um your your doctor happy um how did you, you you get into studying positive psychology yeah well i studied normal psychology back at uni so back in the 80s uh, so three years and traditional if you think about it traditional psychology there's been psychology has been around for 130 years since psychology was invented it has always been and i mean 100 percent about ill people so at uni i studied what you'd study which is phobias disorders anxiety depression paranoia schizophrenia so psychology was about let's have a look at what's wrong with you then let's diagnose that and then here's some therapy or some counseling and if that doesn't work here's some medication as a last resort that will enable you to function so literally mate for 130 years psychology was predicated on what was wrong with you and what i realized is that i've never ever had a single lecture on happiness or well-being or flourishing or feeling good it's almost like happiness wasn't a valid emotion to study um, so if you also think about it for 130 years psychology has never and i mean literally never ever studied people who are already happy on the grounds of them not being ill so if you think about it traditional psychology is always well well why would we study happy people because they don't need any help now i decided back in 2005 now to flip the coin and say well actually who are these happy people who are the ones you can think of everybody listening to this can think of a handful of people in their life no more than a handful who when they're in the room you feel good as well and what I wanted to find out was those people I call it flourishing flourishing is when your happiness is bigger than you <laughs> and you create upward spirals of emotion in the people around you mm -hmm. and teaching is such a big deal right because if you can flourish if you if you've if you've got more to give in terms of energy and positivity it's great if you're a classroom teacher and you know, you know your subject but if you can instill if, if your well-being leaks out of you and, and impacts on the 
on your class then that's a bit even bigger than the syllabus i think so what so basically to cut a long story short 2005 loughborough uni i enrolled on a phd and i set out to find three things find out the happy people because we don't know anything about them so who are they secondly what are they doing that makes them feel so amazing and thirdly most importantly in terms of what i do now is what can we then learn from those people that we can then replicate and, and do in our lives so that actually we don't need um, therapy and medication either so it's, it's like an open goal mate we have missed an open goal in psychology for 130 years we've never studied well-being happy people so I decided to do it in 2005 and bagged myself a PhD 12 years by the way it took so I'm not a naturally clever not gifted talented mate I just ground it out sheer bloody hard work and I got myself a PhD in it well, I suppose there's a lot to learn in the in the resilience you showed there. It's definitely something that we, we talk about with the young people all the time. So so it's great that you, you demonstrate that yourself. We're going to kind of uh, double back on ourselves later on in terms of what we can learn from happy people. And I've got some questions I doubt for that. But mm-hmm. I can add to the right of me just now. I've got a bit of an Andy Cope library in terms of the, the books that you've written in. And what I would like to focus the next little bit on is, is your art of being a brilliant teacher, a brilliant NQT, a brilliant middle leader. And... And, and what's in, encapsulated in them. And I'm going to ask a few questions around them. Is that all right? Yeah, yeah, go for it, mate. Go yeah. for it. I mean, to be fair, we, we wrote a series. There's a five books that we wrote with Crown House. Uh, because teaching is such a big deal and because the vast majority of pe- teachers that I meet, and we do lots of training days with teachers and head teachers conferences, is exhaustion. It is the physical and I think the emotional exhaustion that if you're doing your job properly, it is very depleting. And what, so we wrote these five books aimed at teachers and TAs and NQTs just as a way of keeping people's mojo going and a spring in your step. So anyway, sorry, mate, what are your questions? No, brilliant. So can I want, what's something that really, really stuck out in, in the books is you talk about destination addiction and, and how this can affect teachers. Could you, could you share with us what you mean by that and the term destination addiction? Yeah, destination addiction. I mean, most people, most working people get it, but teachers get it more than any other profession. So destination addiction basically is that it's feeling on a Monday morning of here we go again, discounting your happiness, putting it into the long grass. So happiness I describe as a, as a pot of emotional gold at the end of a rainbow. So happiness has been missold to you as a lovely feeling, but it's over there. I've got to earn it. I've got to pursue it. I've got to make it mine. So typically, I'll be happy at the weekend or I'll be happy at half term. I'll be happy when I retire. So what happens is most people end up accidentally kicking their happiness into the long grass to half term. Um, so for classically, you know, if it's three weeks to half term, you come in the staff room, how are you doing? And the conversation is only three weeks to go. Yeah. And once you and once you say that, I get that. I, I understand why you say that because you're looking forward to your holidays because you're exhausted. But when you say that, you are subconsciously telling yourself, I've just got to get these three weeks of my life out of the way and then I'll be happy. All right. So and, and you're never going to be happy now if you're putting your happiness off for three weeks time you're never going to see it here today so partly it's about and kids get that as well mate i did a session in uh, in yorkshire with year year five what they're about nine years old and this little girl there sitting next to me rolling her eyes and huffing and puffing oh i can't be bothered i've had enough she said so what do you mean you've had enough what have you had enough of oh everything she said she looked at me mate she says i can't wait to retire 
And I said, well, excuse me, you're nine. She's nine years old, mate. Now, so she's basically got destination addiction because she's kicking her happiness into the long grass about 60 years away. And my big thing is where she learned that, right? I'll tell you where she's learned that, from the big people. She's learned it subconsciously from society. We, we learn so deeply ingrained, Mondays are bad and Fridays are good. Right. And I would quit. Well, who says? Is that actually even true? If you're listeners, mate, you spend a seventh of your entire life on Monday. And that's a massive chunk of most people's time. They've got what I call irritable bastard syndrome about it is that we hate Mondays. We look around. Nobody else likes Mondays. So we join in with the general hating Mondays. And what if Mondays and Fridays are completely neutral? So you spend a seventh of your life on Monday, seventh on Friday. They're completely neutral until you apply thinking to them. And what if, quite a big what if, what if it's only thinking that makes Mondays bad? We look around, nobody else likes Monday, so we've just joined in with the lazy thinking. And I think as a teacher, right, more than anything else as a teacher, if you can, what if your aim wasn't to survive till half term? What if your aim was to, <laughs> to enjoy the week till half term? Or what if your reason for getting out of bed was to inspire as many people as you could then what i'm saying mate you will be a standout teacher because you will be the one with the energy leakage you'll be the one who's giving energy to the people around you as well and now i can't think of anything more important you'll ever do i mean that's the that's the value i would play on it in the career that you've chosen and the listeners have chosen no i would de definitely agree with that so can you can you then tell me thinking about about your writing and, and kind of the all the schools and the people you've met what are the, what are the features of a of a brilliant teacher I, well, a brilliant teacher, obviously it starts with knowing your stuff. But, mate, how many teachers have I met who are subject experts but don't inspire me? They do not inspire me. So it's not just about, you know, you can study a subject till you're blue in the face. There's got to be more to it than that. And that more to it than that is you. It is the, the version of you you decide to be. It's the version of you you choose to be. I had a, let, me, let me just rewind, mate. I had an epiphany moment in... Um, I think you're supposed to have them in church. Mine was in Tesco's in a place called Ashby de la Zouche. Very <laughs> odd time. About seven years ago, Saturday morning, standing in Tesco's, and I had this moment where I realised that wherever I go, I'm there, which is a slightly weird realisation. I'd never really twigged at that level before. So I was standing in, just bear, go with me, right? I was standing in Tesco's and I had this moment of, oh my gosh, I'm in Tesco's in Ashby de la Zouche. And then I went through the checkout and I got in my car and I'm driving home. And as I'm driving home, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm actually in my car driving home. And then I got home in my kitchen, putting my groceries away. Oh, my gosh, I'm actually in my kitchen. And now I'm actually in my kind of converted office talking to you on a podcast. My point being that I can't get away from me. I'm literally trapped with me for every single second of my life. Right. So I can put my trainers on and run across the garden, but I'll still be trapped with me. And you, mate, you're trapped with you and all your listeners they're trapped with themselves you cannot get away so what that means for me is this if i can't get away from me i've got a life sentence with me then i may as well be trapped with a version of me that i'm proud of or a version of me that's got a smile on his face or a version of me that's got some some energy and some passion and some and some optimism mate, and some hope rather than the version of me from 15 years ago that didn't have a lot of that because i didn't know what i know now so i think the teachers that are what makes a great teacher is the choices they make between their ears about the version of themselves they decide to who, who are you going to show up at right as you as you going to turn up on monday morning and go oh, here we go monday morning again same old same old low level version of you 
or are you going to come in with energy and genuine passion and enthusiasm and an authentic, I describe it like the ready breath glow on the outside where other people will also come alive because everybody's got that choice and not enough people are making it the right choice. No, I'd, I'd agree with that. The tagline of, of, of the podcast is, is teach with joy. And I think we definitely have a Boom. choice. We definitely have a choice to make when we when we enter the building, when we're in front of children and how we choose to present can have a significant impact. Mate, on... let me jump in. Let me. Ju- you are so right. It, it is, um, I mean, there's a movie, uh, Sixth Sense, I think it's in the book. The, the, it's a Bruce Willis movie in case anybody's not seen it. So really, it's quite a spooky, psychologically disturbing movie. You have to watch it twice to get it. So Sixth Sense, Bruce Willis. There is a classic line in that movie. There's this little boy um, who's a bit tormented and a bit teary and he looks at Bruce Willis and he says, I see dead people. And I tell you what, mate, on a Monday morning, I'm seeing dead people as well. I mean, you can have a pulse, you can have a pulse, but not be truly engaged with your life. And quite even in teaching, I see it in staff rooms too often, is people accidentally counting their weeks away, wishing their life away towards half term. And I'm like, really, we need to unlearn that thinking. The challenge with psychology for me is, is exactly that. It's, so learning, I can teach you a whole load of new stuff to think and new ways of thinking, new ways of behaving that you make you come alive. But the real challenge is to, is to unlearn, is to stop doing the habits that are already grooved into your thinking. It's really, really difficult to stop doing a habit. And that's why it's really difficult to enjoy Mondays because I, you spent 40 years hating them. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. So it's actually quite hard to unlearn. It is, and it brings me on to to my next question, and I and I've read it in your books now. I've even I've even seen other interviews where you've you've mentioned it. So, can you tell me what the difference is between a job, a career, and a calling? And then I want to ask you the question: Is teaching a calling? Teaching should be a calling, mate. It's something I looked at in my research actually. I can't remember the lady's name. She's got a, a long Polish name, Wurzneczki or something. But she looked at job, career, and calling. So a job will be something that pays the bills. So typically a job is something you log on at nine o'clock with a heavy heart and you come alive at five o'clock when you log off and you bounce home full of energy because your day's out of the way. So a job is something you have to do to pay the bills. A career is something that you're more invested in. So it might have prospects, they might send you on training, you might earn a bit more, you feel like you're getting somewhere. So if you work really hard, you might get recognized and up, up the greasy pole. But a calling is, a calling is where you wouldn't tell the boss, but you would do it for free. <laughs> it's, it's, you were just born to do it. Um, and it might not be a massive salary that you're earning, but in a calling, you're just great at it because you want to be there. And teaching, I think I meet a lot of teachers who it is a calling, but I still, still too, meet too many teachers who, who are still doing a job. They're seeing teaching as a job. It's a drudgery, something to be got through. And they come alive at half term. And I, I, a lot of them have been weeded out, to be fair. I think since teaching, because it's certainly a lot more difficult than it ever has been. And I think a lot of the bad teachers have gone because <laughs> they couldn't <laughs> hack it. The ones who really care are still in place. And I think there is maybe, if you can find your calling, then if teaching isn't your calling, then please go and do something else, basically. If you're turning up, rocking up on Monday morning and doing a job. <sighs> life's too short mate you're going to live for 4,000 weeks that's the other recurring theme you've only got 4,000 weeks you know the average lifespan if I announce that to a bunch of primary school kids they leap around the hall punching the air thinking it's the best news ever but if I announce that to your listeners here 
who are adults, there'll be less punching of the air and a bit more of a collective, well, really, 4,000 weeks, that's not a very big number. I've used a few. And if you're just turning up to school, going through the motions, then you need to change job seriously for your own benefit and for the benefit of the kids. I agree. It goes back a bit to... Heavy. It's a bit heavy. A bit heavy there, mate. No, it's true. It's it's true. It goes back to what you were saying earlier on about, about you, you have a life sentence with yourself. And if, you, if you're going to work and, and you genuinely hate it, the amount of time of your life that you spend in work, that's a long time. And if you, if your work involves being in front of children, then I think it's could you become an expectation where you have to choose to be there, you have to want to be there, and that energy that you can bring with that choice would make a real difference to, to everything that you do within your, within your classroom and beyond. Mate, you make that sound so obvious and so logical which it is and yet despite your words of wisdom there how many people do i know and you know who who are turning up and going through the motions yeah and it's not just teaching it's, it's loads of jobs there's too many people out there not not exactly living the dream certainly and it kind of brings us on to a really interesting concept that that, that really took me took me aback a little bit when i when i was reading your books because you wrote about the idea of your colleagues mourning when you leave and get into that place and um, I think you call correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was pronoia. Pronoia, um, yes, yes. Pronoia you... is, is the opposite of paranoia. So, uh, paranoia is when you think people are saying horrible things about you behind your back. But pronoia is when people are saying nice things about you behind your back. And I just love that. And because everybody listening to this podcast, if you're a teacher, you are you are replaceable. So if you leave or you go to another school or you retire, the school can pay a salary to replace you. There'll be another warm body will come into the school. But actually, some teachers really are very difficult to replace because they're they're the ones, they're the pronoyers. They're the ones who you literally, oh my gosh, well, you don't want to lose them. And I want people listening to this to be the those teachers, those ones who when you're gone, you're going, do you know what? And they're still talking about you 20 years after you've left for the right reasons. You're a, leg- a legend. No, I agree. I, uh, I, wrote, I wrote an article the other day about, about my favourite teacher and, and sadly he's no longer with us but you know I reckon I'll be talking about him to my dying day just because of this, the impact that he made on my on my life and I think that everybody has somebody like that and, and just could you imagine if you were that person for a young for a young person that would mean the world and it is prob- is everything it's not why we go into teaching but that's a serious uh, byproduct of of just isn't, being excellent. It, what a byproduct it is, though, isn't it? It's a real and it's a very doable byproduct. And um, yeah, no, I love it. I think pronoia is really good. Is another another word that I uh, I learned. I think it's a Finnish word, sisu, and I think that applies to teaching. S i s u. Sisu is. Um, it's the ex, It's like your reserve tank. You know when you. When your car is nearly near about to break down because it's got no fuel and then you're just kind of limping along a little bit. But SISU in terms of teaching is that extra energy. When you think you can't, you find the reserves of energy from somewhere. And I think, that, so maybe it's your last lesson on Friday. SISU is that extra reserves of something that gets you through that last hour and 10 minutes. And I love the fact it's uh, it shouldn't be sugar and caffeine really, although quite often sometimes... That, that's what we use but sisu is I, I think it applies to teaching so much simply because of the emotional exhaustion of the job i think positive psychology for me the science of well-being the science of happiness it enables you to find that extra that other teachers haven't got 
Brilliant. I think I might use that this Friday six remembering use your remembering use your sissy when you're about to approach uh, your group of third year third year core boys who are just wired to the moon that it's Friday. So I might use that. Um, and the art of being a brilliant teacher, I, I really enjoyed um, the chapter on discipline. Obviously, behaviour is is one of the biggest issues in teaching. It's um, so. On that, what top tips do you have for teachers to help them get that oh, right? Oh man, I can't actually remember that chapter, right? So just to excuse my ignorance here. I would say in terms of what I know now, in terms of discipline, I think if we go back up upstream from it, um, it's the three hours of, of teaching, right? Which is relationships, relationships, relationships. If you can get that bit right, then actually you will have very few discipline problems. Um, so the root cause of disciplinary problems often is boredom with the kids or lack of respect between the kid and the teacher. So if you can actually, I, I don't know, discipline for me is, is trying to connect with the difficult kids, getting them on side, seriously caring. I mean, you can't, you can't fake caring about the kids. Um, in fact, there was a, there was a Gallup survey, mate. It was a business one. Um, many years ago now it's about 40,000 respondents and it was about motivation in the workplace and there was a questionnaire on this Gallup survey where if you could tick yes to the statement I'm about to say then the chances are you would turn up for work feeling motivated and the, the statement was somebody at work seems to care about me as a person and I can't prove this bit but I suspect if the kids in your class could tick yes to somebody at school seems to care about me as a person then I don't think you can have a whole load of discipline problems in your class. Now, you can, kids know if you care. They just know. And they know the ones who don't. <laughs> they just know. They're really good at that. So if you can genuinely care from the bottom of your heart, then I don't think you will have many disciplinary problems. That's very well put. Thank you. Um, you write about uh, subconscious messages. And you mentioned that earlier, earlier on in, in the interview. Could you elaborate on on the subconscious messages that that exist? Yeah. So subconscious. So my, my, the phrase that I use is that everything talks, right? So what I mean by that is the way you look is giving a message. The 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 what you're wearing is actually telling the kids a story. Your classroom decor, the the, the, the your desk, whether it's tidy. Um, every little thing was, as the kids are coming into your class is already giving them a message. So if everything is talking, then it just makes sense to get the detail right. Make sure your classroom is tidy. Make sure your desk is tidy. Make sure you look confident with your shoulders back and are, are portraying confidence. Even if you're not feeling it inside, just stand a little bit tall, put a little bit of smile on your face, eyeball the kids and greet them on the way in uh, and congratulate them on the way in on I know it's going to be a great lesson. I know you're going to be epic today. So all of that, mate, builds a picture before they've even taken their seats of this is going to be epic and I'm going to behave. So everything talks. That's the subconscious message. Brilliant. Um, moving, moving on now to to uh, an aspect of your work that really interests me. Could you could you share what what is a two percenter? Okay, two percenter. These are the people. This is my PhD sort of uh, stuff. These are the. This is the nickname I give to the handful of people. So essentially, what I did, fella, was in my research is I gave out lots of diaries in the workplace and asked people to fill in how they feel at work, and then all these diaries come back in, and I found a clever way then of coding the emotion, and I can put everybody on a graph of well-being, and if you do that, 
then far too many people are spending far too much time in the bottom third of that diagram. So actually Britishness as a culture, we're a little bit doomy and gloomy. We're quite pessimistic as a nation and we like to have a bit of a moan. That's what we do. Now, if you want to be like everybody else, that's perfectly okay. It's not depression. It's what I call the curse of mediocrity. It's the bog standard version of you that kind of looks forward to Friday afternoon. Absolutely fine if you want to be like that. But the two percenters, so when I plotted the data on the graph, there was a very small percentage of the population on this graph of well-being who are the outliers, the weirdos, if you like, statistical outliers. When you plot them on a graph of happiness, they're towards the top end of their well-being spectrum. So statistically significantly happier on a long-term basis. Bags more energy, which is a kind of teachery thing, a third more energy than a normal person. They do more stuff. They say yes to more things. They create opportunities. They make you feel good. They... They're great to have as leaders, they're great to have as classroom teachers, they're great to have as parents and grandparents. So the two percenters, these are this small percentage of the population, the really, really happy ones, the flourishing ones, where their happiness is bigger than them, it leaks into the other people. They're the ones that psychology knows nothing at all about. So they're the ones I sort out. Who are they? What are they doing? Most importantly, as I said earlier, what can we then learn from them so we can position the rest of our 4,000 weeks at that end of the well-being spectrum? And, mate, if you've got all the bullshit in the psychobabble, I would suggest to you that it's a game-changer. It is a life-changing proposition, and it's also a learned behavior. So what I found was the two percenters, those handful of people in your life who are rocking and rolling, they've got different strategies between their ears, what I call intentional strategies. So they live in exactly the same world. They've got the same staff room, the same kids. It rains on them. Brexit's happening to them as well. And yet they have different ways of thinking. They're the alive ones, fella. And they're the ones I wanted to know more about. Okay, so you said there that it is a, is a learned behavior. So what can we learn from them? What what internal strategies do we have for for people listening that maybe want to be a two percenter? What advice can you give them? Yeah, well, I mean, we've already touched on the, the biggest single one. I mean, after 12 years of academic research, the biggest single thing I can come up with is a conscious and deliberate choice to have a positive attitude, which is all, once again, in the realms of the bleed and obvious. Now, it's not now just to nuance it a little bit. It's not you can't choose to be happy. So happiness is an emotion that you can you can open up to happiness and let more in. But positivity is not an emotion. It's an attitude. And there is something, therefore, that you can work on. Um, and I, I, I learned how to do it by being more grateful, just gratitude, waking up in the morning, being grateful I've not got toothache, being grateful that I'm alive, being, being grateful my shower's hot, being grateful that I've got food on the table. Kind of slightly odd, sort of simplistic stuff, really. And then the four-minute rule is a classic teetery one, is you've not got to be happy and positive all day, every day. If you can just be your best self, that's very upbeat, very positive, very smiley, very just for four minutes, then that's that's just long enough for the staff room to catch it off you. So the first four minutes of coming in the staff room, the first four minutes of going home to your family, the first four minutes of your lesson, the first four minutes of an after school meeting. If in those situations you can just switch yourself on just for four minutes and just be rocking and rolling and really positive, then what will happen is you will set the tone and other people will have almost no choice but to feel great when you're around because of this energy leakage, this emotional leakage. So um, I can't remember what the question was, mate, but I would say a couple of bits of advice are choose to be positive, be grateful, and practice the four-minute rule. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, it brings me on to another one. I've heard you speak about, about this before, and it really intrigued me. Could you tell me what Sonder is and then what is that in terms of classroom teaching? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sonder is um, Sonder basically means that every random passerby in your life has the same insecurities in their head that you do. Because um, you tend to just think it's you. So I just used to think it was me. Um, you know, the internal dialogue is, oh my gosh, who's going to listen to you? Who You're, you're going to do a keynote speech. Who's going to listen to you? Who's going to take you so seriously? You're such an idiot. And then I realized actually, oh, everybody's got that voice. And it's, it's quite uh, reassuring, actually. You can relax into it a bit when you realize that everybody is negative in their head. Everybody's given themselves the right mental kicking. And I think in teaching... You can be your own worst enemy. One bad, one kid kicks off in your class and you go into the staff room going, oh my gosh, I've got the class from hell. I've had such a nightmare. But you haven't really. You've had one kid kick off. 29 kids think you're epic. So the sonder or negativity bias, or we might call it scientifically, basically means that we're dominated. Most people, the vast majority of people are dominated by negative thoughts. And you can, part of being a two percenter is to retrain that thinking and begin to spot the good stuff. Brilliant. No, I totally agree. I can I can think of of many times, even my, in my own teaching, when I when I've left thinking I, I was the worst teacher ever. When only one or two incidents actually happened, I haven't actually reflected on the the twenty eight wonderful children who behaved appropriately for the full time. I'm focusing on the two children that that decided that it was appropriate to to kick kick and punch each other. And I went, oh no, I'm a terrible teacher. Actually, realizing that it's not it's probably got nothing to do with with me in that instance it's got all so other factors and there's hundreds of teachers that, that do that and I think it is important to to even give them permission just to just to know that everybody's thinking the same everyone thinks the same this idea well, of- mate honestly once you realize that everybody's got that same in screaming insecurities in their head then you can relax and actually chill even the head teacher mate, even the head teacher in your school is sitting in the head teacher's office panicking they don't know what they're doing. Head teachers have got have got imposter syndrome. You know, they're just kind of, oh my gosh, I'm a head teacher. That's sonder as well. That's in their head. They're like, oh my gosh. So we've all got it. Kids have got it as well. And I guess maybe a really, really good teacher will get the kids to appreciate that actually. It's part of the human condition. So I don't know what it's like in Scotland, mate, but in England, particularly secondary schools, teenagers have fallen over with anxiety and panic and all sorts of stuff now. Sonder in their head has gone mad. And we're giving ourselves such a mental beating that we've fallen out with ourselves. I always say to kids, if you if you spoke to your best mate, how you speak to yourself in your head, you wouldn't have any best mate, you know. Mm-hmm. So actually, making making friends with yourself is really important. Like, being your own bestie, being your own bestie. I really like that idea. Can I going back with with life sentence for yourself? Being your own best friend is a is a great idea. Brilliant. Um, so can I on about chatting to kids? Could you could you share with us um, the work you're doing around brilliant schools? Yeah, yeah, we've got loads going on in schools, mate. Um, it's ironic, actually, because we only fell into schools accidentally. So we were a kind of business. We started out as a business training company. And then what we realized is teachers actually, so positive psychology, the science of well-being. Um, so teachers needed it. So we started to do some teacher training and head teachers needed it. And then kids needed it. And in fact, all the way down to primary kids also need to know how to feel amazing. So we designed a suite of programs around the brilliant schools philosophy so we now do an outstandingly happy school uh, program so basically we deliver some well-being to the kids great fun three half days of it and then the kids design and develop their own well-being curriculum they deliver it across their school and community which is epic and also uh, hot off the press is we now have brilliant schools online so you can have a trainer in 
or you can just subscribe to our website and we have got some absolutely kick-ass materials on there videos and stuff where for primary kids for secondary kids for teachers and for parents to get this two percenter thing and to get this kind of flourishing and this well-being embedded in the curriculum and the ethos of the school so if you want any more of that just if you just google brilliant dot school you'll find us that's brilliant thank you just we've got finish up the kind of formal interview there and i've got a couple of a couple of features that i'd, that I'd like you to be part of uh, before i do that can you just share with if anyone wants to, to read any of your work or follow you on social media or yep. find out more about you how do they go about that uh yeah the website is artofbrilliance.co.uk uh, twitter i think is being brilliant and the books are all over the place. We've got loads of books. I think for teachers, I've got one called The Little Book of Emotional Intelligence, which is pretty cool. It's got lots of stuff on there about relationships. And my favorite book um, is the one that's least well-reviewed on Amazon, but it's per my personal favorite. It's called The Little Book of Being Brilliant. Not sure the world's quite ready for it, mate, because it goes way beyond positive psychology into consciousness and how the mind works. I, I personally, hand on heart, think it's my best book, but... Uh, Sadly, the Amazon readers don't concur, but there you go. All you can do is your best. Absolutely. <laughs> That's brilliant. Thank you. Um, so next one I've got is, is my, my dream school feature where, where I'm asking you about a subject and you can pick anyone, dead or alive, that's ever lived <laughs> to be your, your teacher. Who would it be? So if you could choose anyone, to have taught you English, who would it be and why? Anyone dead or alive? Uh, well, it certainly wouldn't be Shakespeare, mate, because Shakespeare ruined my love of reading. I left school. I don't know why we do it to kids. I left school and didn't read a book for 20 years because of Shakespeare. Because I was just absolutely... <laughs> Shakespeare killed my... So it's not shaky. Uh, I would go with somebody more modern. I, I think the problem I've got is going into schools is I'm 53 and I've got no idea what kids are on about. Oh, I'll have Stormzy. How about Stormzy? He'll teach me to speak proper, proper like <laughs> new English, proper English. As in, because I, if I can't connect with kids, Stormzy can. So he'll teach me some, some of the modern lingo. That's what I'm missing. That's I totally did not expect that. That is wonderful. Thank you very much. And um, now on for for my final three, um, that I've asked everyone that that's came on the podcast. So my first question there is, what book or text has had the biggest impact on your career? Um, I don't know if you've heard him on your pod. Have you had Paul Dix on yet, mate? If you've not, you need to you need to get him booked, right? Uh, I can't actually remember what he's, he's got. Two books out. Is is they're both brilliant. Um, Paul Dix uh, turns discipline and relationships on its head and um, comes at it from. He's it, a bit. It's a bit hard hitting because he's basically saying it's all our fault. It's all the adults' fault. Mm -hmm. But he's bang on. If you read Paul Dix's book, then you won't go far wrong with that. That's had a big impact on me. That's brilliant. Thank you. Um, if you could give just one bit of advice to a teacher, whether they're just starting out, whether someone thinking about being a teacher, or if they've been in the classroom for over 20 years, what would it be? One, 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 one. I would say, thinking back to the teachers I've had and the teachers that now I come across in schools, I think care. Just seriously care. Seriously give a shit and, and keep caring. And as soon as you stop caring, leave. Yeah, care. That's it. Brilliant. And and last one. This is a this is a more of a personal one. I think there's there's lots of things that that kind of disrupt teachers from just being great teaching and for great learning to happen. So, what do you think most gets in the way 
of great teaching? Mm, I would suggest probably rank bad management and sometimes the school, the whole school system. Uh, I don't know what the inspection regime is north of the border, but um, I don't want to say Austin. No, no. I, I think the, the the problem with school inspect the inspection regime down in England is the whole thing is based on lack of trust. If you think of why schools are inspected, it's because what the, the the subconscious thing is, we don't trust you, so we're going to come and check you're doing your job properly. And I think the biggest thing getting in the way of awesome teaching is all the crap that comes with the job. And if we just got out of teachers' ways and just let them do the best they can do and let them be creative and, and let fewer systems, fewer procedures, I'm not bothered about your lesson plan. I'm just bothered that you care and you know your subjects and you can create relationships. So I just think that we've got too many barriers in the way. I would say rank bad management and micromanagement and the systems we've got in place are killing teaching. Absolutely. I, I truly, truly believe that the experts in teaching are the teachers themselves. They're the experts in their classroom. They're the experts in their subjects. And if we could just allow teachers to do what they love... yeah we could create a wonderful world get in get out of their way mate and let them shine that's right no Andy that's it coming to the end of our interview I would like to thank you very much for your time and your input into the, the podcast I really do appreciate it mate it's been a pleasure it's been an absolute pleasure and thank you for caring thank you very much for listening to the podcast today I really do appreciate it if you want to find out more about what was discussed today, please head over to my website, becomingeducated.co.uk. And finally, if you haven't done so already, I would really love it if you were to subscribe to the podcast. That way, all future episodes will be downloaded directly into your feed. And before you go, please always remember to teach with joy.